Radio Derb is on the air. Welcome listeners from your vituperatively genial host, John Derbyshire. Lots to tell you this week, so let's proceed. First, a segment on jailhouse justice. A couple of weeks ago, I passed comment on the stabbing to death in a Texas prison of serial murderer Billy Chamirmir. Chamirmir, a black man from Kenya, was serving two life sentences for murdering two elderly women, aged 81 and 87, apparently in order to steal their jewellery. He almost certainly murdered 20 more other old ladies, mainly in retirement homes, for the same reason. Chemirmir was killed by a cellmate September 19th in an East Texas prison. The comment I passed was that none of the news reports that I saw mentioned the fact that Chemirmir was an illegal alien. So, Chemirmir was killed by a cellmate, 39-year-old Wyatt Busby also serving a prison sentence for murder. He was serving 50 years for a fatal stabbing in 2016. Why did Busby kill Chimiamir? We haven't been told, and I don't know. I only want to record that I have been reading David Scarbeck's 2014 book The Social Order of the Underworld which is about prison gangs, mostly in Texas and California. Scarbeck opens his book with a true story from Marin, California. In 2009, a drunk motorcyclist named Schaefer, blood alcohol at twice the legal limit, and with a dozen prior convictions, hit and killed a nine-year-old girl and seriously injured her father. Convicted of second-degree murder and gross vehicular manslaughter, he got 24 years to life. Ten days after arriving at San Quentin, Schaefer was stabbed to death by a fellow prisoner, name of Frank Souza. Why? Quote from Scarbeck's book. When authorities asked him why he did it, Sousa responded in a quote, All I got to say, nine-year-old girl. End in a quote. In court, he explained, The innocence of a child will be defended at all costs. Schaefer's death was no accident, nor was Sousa's role in the murder. The prison gangs that controlled California's inmates carefully orchestrated the events on that brisk July morning. End quote. I should add that there was no race angle there. Schaefer and Sousa were both white. In fact, Sousa belonged to the Aryan Brotherhood. 
Nor was there any race angle to the Chamir, Mir and Busby case. Both of them are black. So, perhaps the September 19th killing of Billy Chamir, by Wyatt Busby was another case of jailhouse justice. Perhaps Busby, like Sousa, felt that old ladies in retirement homes, just like nine-year-old children, should, quote, be defended at all costs, end quote. And perhaps he was encouraged and the killing was orchestrated by a prison gang. I have no idea if that is the case. After reading David Scarbeck's book, though, I wouldn't be at all surprised. And here, on Monday this week, was another death by stabbing. This was 4am Monday morning. A young white man named Ryan Carson was sitting on a bus stop bench with his girlfriend, name of Claudia Morales, white Hispanic. Carson was 31 years old. He would have been 32 today if still alive. I don't know the age of Ms. Morales. An 18-year-old black man named Brian Dowling was making noise and trouble a few yards away on the otherwise deserted street, kicking over parked scooters. Dowling had no actual criminal record, but he had a paper trail of incidents suggesting mental instability. Dowling saw Carson and Morales looking at him. He yelled at them. Ryan Carson got up and walked over with the apparent intention to calm him down. Dowling stepped forward to confront Carson and then stabbed him to death. This happened in Bedford-Stuyvesant. Bed-Sty for short, which is a neighbourhood of Brooklyn Borough in New York City, with a history that I think could fairly be described as colourful. When I first lived in New York City in the early 1970s, Bed-Sty was a stinking black slum, known around town as Little Harlem. Everyone told me to stay well clear of Bed-Stuy. However, the neighbourhood has been considerably gentrified since then. Current demographics are roughly half black, a quarter white, the other quarter Asian and other. There are complications within that demographic. This is New York City. Property is expensive. Most of the white population and a good share of the blacks are young professionals renting their apartments, or sometimes entire houses. They are woke as all get out. There's a big underclass, though. Most of it's black, left over from those little Harlem days, living mainly in public housing. There's a poor white element, too. 
bohemian types scraping along as best they can with loans from what my personal accountant calls M&D Bank, the bank of mom and dad. Politically, Bed-Stuy is solid blue. It's represented by Hakim Jeffries, a mulatto mafia type who is currently minority leader in the House of Representatives. There may be one or two Republican voters in Bed-Stuy, but you would need special equipment to detect them. So that's the incident. Who, when and where. Why is it particularly newsworthy? The young man who got stabbed, Ryan Carson, was a very active and busy social justice warrior. Here's the opening paragraph from the New York Post report of his death. Quote, the 32-year-old Brooklyn man fatally stabbed by an unhinged suspect in a horrific, brutal murder on Monday was remembered by friends as a big-hearted activist and talented poet who once talked a mugger down from trying to rob him. End quote. Further down the Post report, we read that Carson once walked 500 miles across New York State to raise awareness of the need for legislation to set up a drug overdose prevention facility in the state. So yes, a real social justice warrior who, uh, walked the walk. Not surprising, therefore, that social media have been heavy with schadenfreude this past week. Heavy with anti-wokesters jeering that Ryan Carson reaped what he had helped to sow. All that schadenfreude has generated its own reaction. Commentators, including some who are also anti-woke, scolding the jeerers for being vindictive, anti-Christian, cold-hearted and so on. Where is Radio Derb on this? I'm anti-woke, of course, but I'm with the scolders. Sure, Ryan Carson's misguided idealism did much harm, including, finally, to himself. He was a victim of his own luxury beliefs. Yet who knows? He seems to have been smart enough that he might have seen the truth at last. I myself was considerably woke into my mid-twenties, just five or six years short of Carson's age at death. Send not to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. All that said, I hope I may be excused for extracting one small vidare point from this regrettable incident. I mentioned Claudia Morales, the girlfriend that Ryan Carson was with when he got killed. She's been getting a lot of social media coverage herself, based on her own 
online postings for a couple of years back. A picture of her wearing a sleeveless top emblazoned with the slogan ACAB has shown up all over. That slogan is from the anti-cop crowd. ACAB stands for All Cops Are Bastards. That's not the picture that makes my point, though. The picture that makes my point is one of Ms Morales kneeling behind her car, which is a late model Volvo, to advertise her custom license plate. The plate reads K Marks. K hyphen M A R X. So here's my point. We here at video.com sometimes refer to far left persons as communist. We get some pushback on that along the lines of Come on, Derb, these people are nuts, but they're not communists. Nobody believes that old Marx-Lenin stuff anymore. Well, there in that license plate is evidence to the contrary. Yes, these extreme wokesters are communists. They believe what Marx and Lenin believed, and Mao Zedong's Red Guards, and the enragé of the French Revolution, and millenarian fanatics back through history. This stuff never dies. It will always be with us. In last week's podcast, I covered the resignation of Anthony Rota, Speaker of the Canadian Parliament, after he'd urged the House to applaud a 98-year-old Ukrainian guy who had fought against Russia in World War II. Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, joined in the applause. That being the eastern front of the war, the Ukrainian gent was, of course, fighting in a German unit. In fact, an SS unit. As I remarked concerning those applauding Canadians, quote, How could they have been so dumb as not to check the historical background there? It took me 20 minutes on the internet. Why didn't Trudeau have someone do that? Or Speaker Rota? Or one, one at least, of the host of parliamentarians who applauded Mr. Hunka? End quote. I feel a bit guilty about that. I consider myself pro-Canada to the degree that it makes sense to favour something that big and varied. Visiting eight years ago, Mrs. Derbyshire and I experienced only courtesy and kindness from Canadians. On reflection, it seemed a bit churlish of me to have described their entire parliament as dumb. Well, now I feel much better. That is after reading 
Douglas Murray's very spirited op-ed in the Canadian newspaper National Post on Tuesday. Title of the op-ed? Canada's descent into ignorance shocks the world. Subtitle. An unbearable stupidity has trickled down from the Liberal government. Murray is unsparing. Canada is, he says, quote, a society wallowing in unutterable ignorance, end quote. The rest of the world, he says, now finds Canada, when it thinks of it at all, as, quote, a country that used to be renowned for its liberalism, now most noted for its proto-authoritarianism. A country whose leaders think they can root out nastiness wherever they find it, and are not even informed enough not to give a standing ovation to a former member of the SS. End quote. I could go on quoting Murray's op-ed all day, but I'll just urge you to look it up for yourself. Just go to nationalpost.com slash opinion. Talk about the vituperative arts. Oh, yeah. Fans of dissident Canadian psychologist Professor Jordan Peterson in particular will enjoy it. If, after reading Douglas Murray's National Post op-ed, you are still not convinced that the entire nation of Canada has gone bonkers, the following is a press release from Ontario Principals Council. I picked it up on Twitter. That's Ontario as in most populous and second largest province of Canada. And principles, as in school principles. Here's a quote from Ontario Principles Council. Quote, in October, we celebrate 2SLGBTQQIA plus month. Recognising the history of the diverse lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and queer communities. We encourage our schools and students to become allies and stand up against discrimination, bullying and harassment. End quote. Oh, Canada. Meanwhile, in Britain, the USA's cultural colony across the Atlantic, October is Black History Month. The Brits are going nuts over it. The general belief over there nowadays seems to be, however loud those Yanks shout, we have to shout louder. Where race is concerned, the Brits are at a disadvantage in that shouting match, in that blacks have played only a very insignificant role in British history. 
No role at all, really. Until the middle 20th century, there were never more than a handful of blacks in Britain, and race slavery was never legal there. Race slavery was legal in some of Britain's transatlantic colonies, although on nothing like the scale it was practised in the colonies of Spain and Portugal. It was there in Britain's colonies, though, up to the 1830s, so present-day Brits can feel pleasantly guilty about that. So how can today's Brits prove their moral worthiness to be subjects of the great imperial power across the sea? Well, they can make stuff up. That's what they're doing. The BBC, Britain's state broadcasting system, has taken the lead. Two years ago, they put out a music video titled Been Here From The Start, which you can watch on YouTube. The thing is two minutes long, if you don't mind sacrificing that much of your time to ignorant idiocy. And then there's a best-selling book for kids, the title Brilliant Black History, telling the little Brit kids that, sample quote, Britain has been a mostly white country for a lot less time than it has been a mostly black country, end quote. A favourite of all these anti-white propaganda productions is Cheddar Man, the oldest human fossil yet found in Britain. DNA analysis has found that Cheddar Man had dark or darkish skin. You see, crow the anti-white crowd, we've been here from the very beginning. You can see Cheddar Man around 20 seconds into the that BBC YouTube production that I just mentioned. That's just scientifically illiterate. All the non-white people singing along in that BBC video plainly have at least some sub-Saharan black ancestry. There's no evidence that Cheddar Man did. So far as we can tell, he or his ancestors walked into Britain from northern Europe, across land that has since been submerged by the North Sea. He was no more related genetically to today's sub-Saharan Africans than I am, or Joe Biden is, or Vladimir Putin is, or Xi Jinping, or the President of India. Cheddar Man lived around 8000 BC. His people were hunter-gatherers. In fact, paleoanthropologists refer to them and their relatives in Europe as WHG for Western hunter-gatherers. The men went out hunting fauna. The women stayed home gathering fruit and nuts. The single greatest revolution in human history took place in the Neolithic, 
the New Stone Age, when mankind went from the hunter-gatherer lifestyle to settled farming. That revolution was brought to Britain from Europe around 4000 BC. It seems not to have been kind to the WHG descendants of Cheddar Man. The genetic evidence suggests a great replacement, if not a genocide. The European farmers just annihilated the hunter-gatherers, or near enough. Those Neolithic farmers, by the way, had lighter skin than the WHG and often blonde hair. One and a half thousand years later, they suffered their own great replacement when the so-called Bell Beaker people arrived, again from Europe, bringing the Bronze Age with them. And another genocide. It's fascinating stuff, but sub-Saharan Africans played no part in it. All this Black History Month propaganda is as bogus as that. It either finds some insignificant black person in British history and inflates them to a figure of tremendous importance, or it seizes on some casual witness remark and inflates it to mean something it couldn't possibly have meant. Example of the first... Mary Seacole, a free black entrepreneur from Jamaica who ran a British officer's mess in the Crimean War. Example of the second, Philippa of Haino, who was the wife of King Edward III of England back in the 14th century. As well as being Queen of England, she was a great-granddaughter of the King of France. Her genealogy can be traced back for centuries. None of it is sub-Saharan African. However, the marriage with Edward was arranged before he was king, when he and Philippa were in their early teens. Edward's father thought that an alliance with Haino, sealed with a marriage, would be a good move in the chess game of medieval alliances. He sent a bishop over to Haino, which is in present-day Belgium, to check out the daughters of the ruling family there. The bishop reported of Philippa that, quote, she is brown of skin all over, much like her father, end quote. So now they're telling us she was a negress. If you scoff, they play their trump card. Don't you know that she was the mother of the Black Prince? For goodness sake. Strange things are happening on the immigration front. The Biden administration is going to build a wall. Before you start cheering, 
please note that they're only going to build a 20-mile section in Star County along the Rio Grande in Texas. That's 1% of our 2,000-mile border, so, yeah. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas told us on Thursday that, quote, The United States Border Patrol's Rio Grande Valley sector is an area of high illegal entry. Therefore, I must use my authority to install additional physical barriers and roads in the Rio Grande Valley sector. Hey, that's great, Mr. Secretary, but uh, hasn't there been high illegal entry for, like, uh, coming up to two years now? You only just noticed? Not content to stun and confuse us with that, the DHS also told us yesterday that it will start deporting Venezuelan illegals. This, they said, quote, follows a decision by authorities from Venezuela to accept the return of Venezuelan nationals, end quote. Well, isn't that special? Presumably, we leaned on the Venezuelan government in some way to extract that favour. In some way, we were never able to lean on them before. We, the USA, a third of a billion people, the world's greatest commercial, financial and military power, versus them, Venezuela, a craphole excuse of a country with 30 million people not yet starved to death or murdered, ranked 159th in the world on per capita GDP. What's going on here? Has the DNC discovered that even Democrat voters are getting wise to the Great Replacement? Did the mayors of big blue cities like New York and Chicago vow to commit collective seppuku if Biden didn't give them a break? Or has some new universal principle kicked in, a principle saying that henceforth every U.S. president when 68% of the way through his first term, must build a few miles of border wall? After all, this is about the point in Donald Trump's presidency when he started building wall. Whatever. It's delicious to see the open borders crowd moaning and squirming. Here was the response from Mexico frontman and U.S. representative, and I can't resist mentioning recent carjacking victim, Henry Quellar. Quote, A border wall is a 14th century solution to a 21st century problem. It will not bolster border security in Star County. I continue to stand against the wasteful spending of taxpayer dollars on an ineffective border wall, end quote. 
Having some acquaintance with actual history, I can, if he likes, I can tell Representative Quaylar what an actual 14th century solution to a mass invasion across a nation's border would have looked like. He can get in touch with me at vdare.com. Meanwhile, far from the southern border, a sheriff in Michigan is ringing the alarm on well-organized gangs of illegal aliens from South America coming into the USA to commit burglaries. It's happening all over, says the sheriff. Quote from him. Usually it's two or three people working together, with one of them stationed outside as a driver. Around the country, in some situations, they've been caught in areas with no bail anymore. And they get out and then get arrested again. The prosecutor in one case I happen to know about, in Nassau County, New York, said they actually laughed at her as they walked out of court. End quote. Nassau County? Hey, that's the next county to mine. Time to get down to the indoor range for some handgun practice. And there's been some more bad news on the legal immigration front. This concerns a program called OPT, that's Optional Practical Training, a gift to the USA from the Obama administration. The deal is that foreign students in American colleges can work here in the USA for one year after college on terms hugely advantageous to employers. The employer doesn't have to pay them any fixed minimum wage. They don't have to pay them any wage. They can hire them in as unpaid interns. If the foreigner's degree is in STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering or math, then they can work for three years on those terms. Of course, employers love this. Did I mention that the employer doesn't have to pay any social security taxes on OPT workers? What's in it for the foreign worker? Why, to get the employer to sponsor him for a future real work permit. Then, green card and citizenship. It's backdoor immigration. The colleges love OPT too, of course. Foreign students pay full tuition, you see. So, there's something to like here for everyone. Well, everyone except US citizen graduates. Why hire those suckers when you can get an OPT from the Philippines for next to nothing? A worker who will be desperate to please you so that you'll sponsor his green card. OK, here's the bad news. Washington Alliance of Technology Workers, which represents STEM employees in the US, has been challenging the OPT program since 2014 on the grounds that it harms citizen 
graduates and is anyway illegal, having been created by regulatory fiat by the Department of Homeland Security, not by law passed in Congress. This litigation eventually got to the US Supreme Court. Monday this week, the court refused to hear the case, so it's dead. Quote from one of the legal websites reporting this, quote, This is good news for the foreign nationals who highly value the post-graduation programmes and companies in the STEM industries who continue to struggle to find enough highly skilled workers. End quote. Yo, counsellor, perhaps if STEM graduates could look forward to a job market that is hospitable to them, instead of to one that favours low-paid or even unpaid foreigners, those companies would have all the job applications they need from American graduates. Cast down your bucket where you are. Listener, any time you think that illegal immigration is an intractable mess, take a look at the legal variety. It's every bit as bad, but in a way that's less visible, more insidious, and at least as destructive. And now, our closing miscellany of brief items. Imprimis. Yes, I know, I haven't given you news about the Miss Bum Bum beauty pageant for a while. I should look into what's happening there and bring you a report. Speaking of beauty pageant news, though, I do have an item from Southern Rhodesia. This is kind of interesting. I, I, uh, I'm sorry, one, one of the sound technicians is gesticulating at me. Oh, oh yes, yes, right. It's not called Southern Rhodesia anymore. It's, it's called, uh, what? Remind me, please. I can, I can never remember. Zimbabwe! Oh, right, Zimbabwe. Thank you, Mohammed. And about sponsoring your green card? We're still looking at it. I'll, I'll let you know. Yes, Zimbabwe. September 16th, they crowned 21-year-old Brooke, Brooke Jackson, their national beauty queen, Miss Universe Zimbabwe. She will be representing her country, Rhodesia, I'm sorry, Zimbabwe, at the 2023 Miss Universe pageant on November 18th in El Salvador. This is Zimbabwe's first crowned beauty queen in 22 years, and she's white. Her skin isn't even brownish like Cheddar Man's or Philippa of Haino's. It's as white as snow. As white as a Barack Obama campaign team. 
since only 2% of Rhodesia... I'm sorry, sorry. Only 2% of Zimbabwe's population is not black African, this has caused considerable grumbling. What's the matter with people down there? Don't they know that diversity is their strength? Item. Our criminal justice system is way, way too lenient. If you don't know this, I offer you the case of 32-year-old Jason Dean Billingsley. Billingsley, now in custody, was arrested September 27th for the murder of tech CEO Parva LaPere in her Baltimore apartment building five days earlier. Billingsley had tricked her into admitting him, then raped, mutilated and killed her, leaving her body on the building roof. Just two days before that, Billingley had tricked his way into the apartment of a couple who he then beat and tied up. He raped the female and then set them both on fire. All this happened less than a year after Billingsley had been released from prison on good behaviour. He was in jail for a violent rape in June 2013. For that, he got a 30-year sentence. But 16 of those years were suspended on probation. The other 14 years should have kept him locked up until 2027. But, as I said, he was released on good behaviour. Prior to that 2013 rape, second-degree assault, theft and false imprisonment in 2010, first-degree assault, theft and robbery in 2009. I don't know about suspended on probation. This critter should have been suspended on a rope. We could still do it if we had the sense, which, unfortunately, we don't. Item. On the same theme, goodbye, Michael Duane Zack. Zack was executed by lethal injection in Florida for murdering two women in 1996. An anti-death penalty group has posted a final testament from him expressing remorse and forgiveness. Forgiveness, that is, of Governor DeSantis and the State Clemency Board for having turned down his appeals. As I have said before, execution by lethal injection is a thoroughly dishonest practice. If the state can lawfully take a felon's life, and I think it should be able to, that is a violent act. It should look and sound like a violent act not pretend to be some kind of medical procedure. What cowards, what liars and pussies we are. And 27 years between crime and punishment? I hereby propose a constitutional amendment 
thus. If, one month after a capital sentence has been handed down, the felon has not been dispatched, he should be set free with a cash award equal to 20 times the national median household income at the time of sentencing. Item. Here's a little gem. At the Asian Games in Hangzhou, China this week, the women's 100 metres hurdles race was won by a young lady named Lin Yu Wei. News sources showed a very touching picture of Ms. Lin embracing one of her competitors. In the picture, we see the embracing hurdlers sideways on. Each on the hip is wearing a large black-on-white label showing the number of her lane. Ms. Lin was lane six. The lady she's embracing was lane four. So the picture shows a six and a four prominently, in that order. Within just a few hours, the picture was purged from all Chinese media and social media. Why? Because Chinese people remember key moments in their history by the numbers of the month and the day. So 6-4 indicates June 4th. That was the day in 1989 when tanks went in to crush the protests in Tiananmen Square. The Chai Coms permit no mention of it or reference to it. No mention in any published materials. It has been very comprehensively flushed down the memory hole. No Chinese person under the age of 30 knows anything about it. Petty? Sure, but that's how totalitarians keep control. My guess is we'll find out. What's that you say? I included this item just in hope of stirring up interest in my novel about 6-4? Now that will be petty of me. Shame on you for thinking it. Item. Just one more. The Brits have banned smartphones in schools. This is from an official government website. Quote, New guidance from the Department for Education will back head teachers in banning mobile phone use throughout the school day, including at break times, to tackle disruptive behaviour and online bullying while boosting attention during lessons. It aims to support the wider work the government is doing to raise standards in schools by increasing students' focus and reducing distractions, end quote. Well, it's a good start. Smartphones should, of course, be banned from many, many places. From restaurants, sidewalks, buses, subways, planes, oh, many, many 
But baby steps, baby steps. That's all, listeners. Thank you for your time and attention, for your emails and your kind donations. I see I haven't played any Hank Williams music at sign-off since January 2021. That's way too long. Here's Hank with something nice and cheerful. Let's just pause to wonder how a guy with such a train wreck of a life managed to come up with happy music. There will be more from Radio Derb next week.